Well, yesterday was 4th of July. Did you have a good time? Yeah? Good, good. Well, uh, Independence Day should uh, be a lot of joy up in this place today in light of uh, the weekend and the, the long weekend. And uh, 4th of July means that we're coming off of the biggest vacation week of the year, um, especially for us here in Boston. Uh, my family was down in Cape Cod for a few days. I was teaching at a conference there, but it was also getting to enjoy family time, and so that was really good. Um, but Bostonians, you know, I believe tend to, to look forward to and, and celebrate the 4th of July harder than probably anywhere else in the country, I believe, uh, largely because um, I guess there's, there's numerous reasons. One, uh, we kind of have the monopoly on history here in Boston, and so we're really excited about that and we're kind of prideful about that. Uh, we've also got the Boston Pops and this amazing fireworks display, and that's televised nationally, and so we've kind of got that thing going on. Also for Boston schools, Boston public schools, the first full week of being off for summer vacation is 4th of July week, except this year because we had uh, crazy snowstorms just over and over and over, and I think we had, I don't know, uh, 110 and a half inches of snow, that amounts to nine feet of snow. And so they were actually in school on Monday as well. And so this next week is going to be their first full week off. But what that means is that for a lot of people, it's vacation week. Everybody just, kids are out of school and we just go to the Cape or wherever you go. And um, all that said, I believe that the 4th of July, I don't know, it's, it's anticipated and celebrated with greater fervor and excitement here in Boston, I think anywhere else in, in the country. And, and so it's come and now it's, gone. And I guess my question for you is, did it do it for you? Did it do it for you? Did it work? Did it give you enough joy to last you, I don't know, until the next period, the next vacation, the next long weekend? Many of us go back to work tomorrow and that long anticipated break, that long anticipated time with your family at the beach, whatever that was for you, it's over, right? And um, maybe, maybe you're going to do that later on in the summer. You're looking forward to that. And I wonder, if, if, is it going to do it for you? Is it going to be I- enough? Maybe it's not even the, the perfect vacation week. Maybe it's the relationship that you've been longing for. And I'm, I'm really curious, if you were to really survey your own heart and your life, is if you got that, would it, would it actually do it for you? Would that marriage that you want, would, would that do it for you? Would finishing that degree program You've been longing for that. Would, would that do it for you? Getting that career move that you're hoping for, would, would that do it for you? Finally owning your own house or your own condo, would, would that do it? Or, or getting out of whatever the life circumstance that you find yourself in that you want to get out of, would that do it for you? Or would it be, where I've been many times, is just get that fruit those results in, in ministry, we, we long for these things and we anticipate these things and we just say, that's going to do it. That's going to hit the spot. It's going to give me joy. And what I found is you just keep going for the next thing after the next thing after the, the next thing. And it, I don't know, it just doesn't do it. I call it the Christmas morning syndrome. Remember that as a kid? You, you're like anticipating this thing since June. And then you get there and you open it up and within 30 minutes everything's opened up and you just kind of... I couldn't put words to it as a kid, you know, and I don't guess, I still can't, but it's just, it didn't, it was awesome, but it didn't quite, it didn't quite do it. And so today we're looking at, at joy. I think it's pretty important for us to, to look at joy. We did a whole series through the book of Philippians on joy, and so if this maybe will just whet your appetite, I encourage you to go online, go on iTunes and, and find that and, and listen to that whole series. I believe it'll really be helpful for you. But Luke chapter 10 
is where we're going to be. So grab a Bible. Luke chapter 10, 17 through 24 is where we find ourselves today. It'd be great for you to get your eyes on a copy of the scriptures, whether it's one of the Bibles we have provided or on your phone. You can download the Bible app. We'll have it up here on the, the screen for you. And uh, we've been walking straight through this book together. Been really enjoying it. And there's just so much in here from the life of the message of, of Jesus that's, that's for us and really, really helpful. Uh, last week, Pastor Ryan taught us up to the end of chapter 9. And uh, three weeks ago, I coupled the beginning of chapter 9 with the first 16 verses of Luke chapter 10. And so I say all that to say that we're not skipping the first 16 verses of the book. We've actually already covered that. And every so often, just to kind of stick with themes, we'll, we'll kind of skip ahead and couple things together. And uh, uh, so that's, that's why we find ourselves in verse 17 today. Now, to give you a little bit of context for the passage that we're looking at today, uh, Jesus has been training up a group of people to follow him and then to continue his work after his time here on earth is finished. And so at the beginning of chapter 9, he sends out his 12 disciples. You remember that? He, he sends them out. It's the first time they're on their own. He throws them into the deep end of the pool and uh, they're, they're off and they have no supplies. He says, you can't bring anything with you. I'm going to teach you to trust me that I'm going to provide everything that you need. And so he sends them, them off and just really stretches their their, their faith. This is part of your training program to get you ready. And then he does it again at the beginning of chapter 10, this time not with 12, but with 72 of his followers. And he sends them off, it says, in groups of two, in pairs, because our faith and our, our mission that Jesus gives us is not to be done alone. And so he says, I want you to go with other people. You've got to live your faith out with other people. He has them go into every single town that he's about to go into, kind of to prepare the way, basically hanging up flyers at Starbucks. You know, Jesus is coming. And then the two of you can sit down after you hang the flyer up and just enjoy a, a nice coffee together. No, that's not it at all, is it? Not, not even remotely. He gives them his power he doesn't say, hey, I do the heavy lifting in the ministry, you know, the cross, little thing, preaching, living sinless, but you just do simple, easy, calm stuff. No, that's not how it works. He says, I'm going to give you power, and I expect that power to be exercised in your life. Christians today, it's more than just showing up to church, maybe, maybe you know, telling somebody that, hey, I love Jesus every now and again, more than you know, maybe every now and again plugging in and doing something in the life of the church. No, he says, I've given you great power and I expect you to go and to use the power that I have given you. For them, it was to, to preach with power as Jesus had been preaching, to heal as Jesus had been healing, to cast out demons as Jesus had been doing, giving validity to the message that they were sharing. Today, the validity of the message that we share is the Bible. So you don't need me to to cast out a demon or to heal somebody in order for you to believe me, I'm opening the word, the apostles' teaching, and the apostles had that to validate their message. And he allows them and he allows us to experience his power and to live out his power. We are sent to be on the mission of Jesus. He wants you to engage in the hard work and the exhilarating work of ministry. And maybe you've been doing that. And maybe you haven't. But I'll say this. When you do, I'm telling you that that is when you will find that your faith comes alive. I can mark the day when I was 17 years old. When I first started reaching outside of myself and engaged in a ministry. Just hanging out with this one little dude. This little kid. Started playing kickball with him. And my faith just, 
exploded. I had been poured into, poured into, poured into, grew stagnant. But when I started to pour, get poured into and then pour out, it started flowing in the power of God and it was amazing and I was exhilarated and my faith became vibrant. Now, that's what happened with the 12 and the 72. I'm praying that's what happens to you. Let's, let's see what happens. The 72 return from their trip, their trips, and their hearts are just absolutely full. And so let's read about what happens next. Look at verse 17 with me. We'll read our whole passage for today, 17 through 24. It says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And in the same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, did not see it. To hear what you hear, did not hear it. That's the scripture for this morning. So they return from their trip, and what are they feeling? It says that their hearts are full of, of joy. That's the major theme of this passage, if you didn't notice, is, is joy. Verse 17, the 72 return with joy. Verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but rejoice in this. Verse 21, in the same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis's autobiography, I love C.S. Lewis, it's called Surprised by Joy. He helps us to kind of clarify a bit what joy is. And he kind of differentiates. He says, you know, joy is not, it's not pleasure. And it's, it's not happiness either. Pleasure is of the, the body and, and happiness is of the mind or, or, or feelings. But joy is of the heart. Joy is of the heart. It comes deep within you. Do you see this? So, so pleasure is, is physical enjoyment. That might be sex. It might be some kind of rush. It might be a high. It might be an intoxication. It might be an amusement. It might be toys. It might be some experience. That's pleasure. Happiness is an emotion. It's how I feel at, at one given time. It's, it's, you know, as many as you know, it, it, it's something that maybe you've experienced regularly that it just kind of comes and goes and comes and goes and today I'm happy and tomorrow I'm not. It just kind of rises and falls like the tide. Anybody experience that? Yeah, we've got to, as Christians, learn how to, to, to ride out those waves and, and still be, be, be anchored. And so Lewis points out, he says, you know, the way to pleasure... The way to pleasure is, is power. You can essentially buy these experiences. He says the, the way to happiness is happenstance or, or, or circumstance. You, you might feel it maybe if circumstances in your life work out the right way. And so the way to pleasure is power. The, the, the way to happiness is happenstance. But the way to joy is Jesus. 
Joy is found in Jesus. The deep joy within your soul is found with Jesus. And Jesus comes at us by way of grace. Jesus is a gift. An undeserved gift. And we cannot miss that in this passage either. That joy that comes from Jesus is from the grace of God. And so let's break this passage down. A little more. If you look at verses 17 through 19, the, the 72 return from the various trips. They're full of joy. They report to Jesus when they come back. They go, Jesus, Lord, it was incredible. The, the power that you gave us in, in your name, we saw it, we used it, we did mighty things. And, and listen, I pray for you that you will experience the power of God flowing through you. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. I've told you that's when your faith is going to really come alive. And, and I just, one thing I'm passionate about, I was preaching it down in Cape Cod at the beginning of the week, is I'm just passionate about seeing Christians get on the mission of God. I'm telling you, nothing infuriates me more than just the stagnant church full of people who just sit there and do nothing. I feel like God looks at that and says, I gave you everything and you're doing nothing with it. I've said to whom much is given, much is required. You can show up to church and not have a gun put to your head. You can show up to church and not in a cave in a public building. To whom much is given, much is required. I love getting Christians on the mission of God. And you could search and search and search for a church that's got every single program that you want. You could search and search and search for a church that has the demographic that you want, whether it's young families. I'm telling you, there was a, a season in the life of the church where the only kids in our church were my kids, right? And I was only, they were only here because I made them. Right? And so they were the only kids in, in the church. And I would try to tell people who come and say, listen, I'm telling you, somebody's got to be the first with kids other than me. So just, just Hang around and, and, and you can go and, and, and find a church with kids in Boston. Well, good luck with that, first of all. But you can, you can try to, to find that or you could hang around and help us build something and be on the mission of God. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you do that, you and your family and your children will be served even greater by hanging around and being on the mission of God. Not trying to find the, the, the perfect place. I remember the same thing when, when uh, back when we had hardly any college students at all in the life of our church. We just had hardly, hardly any. And, and students would show up and say, eh, I'm going to go to a church where there's more college students. And there's plenty of churches with all college students in, in Boston. But eventually God sent us this group of like three or four students from Bentley University in Waltham. How they got down here, miracle. And, and so they, they showed up and, and, and just these three or four students said, you know what? I think we're going to hang. And we're going to try to be a part of this thing. And, and, and they were. And, and today, when our students go home for the summer, we have this like huge hole. Where are they? We love those guys and we're longing for them to be back. They're a huge part of our family. But that happened. We, had a, we have a huge group of college students because we had an initial three or four that said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to hang. And I can tell you, I can point out every single person of those original three or four. And I can say their life, their life, his life, her life. Their, their faith went from stagnant to vibrant because they got on the, the mission of God. It goes for young professionals. I don't know if we got enough young professionals. I want people, I got to get married, right? So, you know, I, I get that. Or you can be a part of this. Same with older people, right? Your, your faith explodes when you get on the mission of God, when you experience the power of God. And, and it's a gift of God's grace to just have the power of God flowing through. God doesn't need you. Can I just like kind of deflate yourself and myself? God doesn't need me. God doesn't need us 
Acts chapter 17, Paul says, as he's preaching at Mars Hill, he says, our God isn't served by human hands as though he needed anything. He doesn't need us, but he loves to use us. He gives us the grace to be used by him. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. And so, are you being used of God on the mission of God? We've already given you some opportunities as to how you can join us this summer. We'd love to have you get in on the mission of God and just experience the power of God flowing through you as you stop looking inward and you start looking outward. I'm telling you, that's when things start to happen. That's when the things of earth grow strangely dim because you're doing what he's called you to do and you're looking outward and not in on your own burdens. So the 72 return with what? With joy. Why? Because they've experienced the power of God. It was amazing. And Jesus affirms their experience, doesn't he? In verses 18 and 19, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing, nothing, nothing shall hurt you. Nothing is going to stop you from the mission that I've, I've given you. It's just going to go and it's going to explode. And we're sitting here today in the ends of the earth because they did it. Because Jesus' promise was fulfilled. Jesus says to them, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. How does lightning fall? Falls hard and it falls fast. He says, I saw Satan. I am seeing and, and, and defeating Satan through my people. He mentions snakes and scorpions. These are common symbols of the day for, for evil. In other words, these 72 saw victory over evil and God's people will continue to see victory over evil if they will step out with no packing list with with nothing they just step out and just underqualified and just in over their heads kind of people and just go and trust and Jesus will move through them the story goes on and he will fill all of his people with his holy spirit that comes to every single christian at the moment of your salvation you're full of the holy spirit acts chapter 1 8 says you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you and he does and they do amazing things and so jesus is saying i'm affirming the joy that comes from being on mission yes 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 i I love that i'm glad you're seeing my power displayed in your life but verse 20 he says what nevertheless it's kind of a hinge word isn't it nevertheless he says this do not rejoice in this that spirits are subject to you but rejoice in that your names are written in heaven kind of cool huh the bible tells you you're published right you feel good about that right you ever been in a newspaper article you're like yeah that's me Get a bunch of copies and you hand them out to, to your friends. So Friday I was digging through my desk in my house and I found an old newspaper clipping of me. Um, my high school, you know, athletic days. And I was a wrestler. Yes, wrestler. Not gold belt buckle wrestler, but spandex wrestler, leotard wrestler. And, um, and I was wearing my leotard and uh, I was all sweaty and I was, you know, grappling with this guy. And my kids saw that one time and they were like, what? That's so weird, Dad. It's not quite as cool as, you know, being a quarterback or something. And, uh, and so I'm looking at this thing and um, I, I just was laughing, you know, because I can't be too impressed with myself. So my name is painted on the, the gymnasium wall of my high school. It's, they call it the Athletics Wall of Fame. And my name is a record holder up there for most escapes. Did that sink in for a second? So in order to escape, you have to get taken down. That's like giving, you know, Tom Brady a a prize for 
standing up after getting sacked, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, it's not quite, that's not quite cool, right? And so and I remember them painting it on the wall, and I'm thinking, no, don't put it up there, you know, and it's just not cool. And so anyhow, <laughs> the, yeah, I, I was in the newspaper, big whoop, right? In fact, my daughter scribbled all over it, and so I noticed, like, she doesn't even care. I don't know if she was like, ex, loser, dad, I don't know, but that write-up doesn't really matter so much, but one write-up really, really matters. Jesus says, listen, your name, if you follow Jesus, if you trust Jesus, is written in heaven. Now, there are two ways that your name is written in heaven, two, two different write-ups. Revelation chapter 20, 11 and 12, I'm just going to read it to you. John gets his glimpse into the future of heaven. He says this. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. That's obviously the Lord. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, rich and poor, smart and dumb, athletic and clumsy, good-looking and not so good-looking, accomplished, not accomplished, great and small, were standing before the throne, all of them. And books were open. And then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So that passage tells us that there are records being kept of all that you do. There's records being kept of all that you do. That's book number one. It's all recorded. We are accountable for everything that we do. Then, should you trust in Jesus' perfect life and death as a substitution for your imperfect and flawed life, he did that for you. If you trust in that by faith in him and you become a Christian, it says your name is written in another book, the, the book of life, or some people call it the, the Lamb's book of life. It's, it's heaven's roster, right? That's, that's book two. And when your name is written in book two, the records of book one are erased. Your sins are erased because even your best deeds prior to having your name written in the book of life, it's all sinful, because they have skewed motives and it's all off. It's all sinful. There's no one righteous. No, not one. Only now, moving forward, the records that are kept of your life as a Christian are only the records of good works that you do in the name and of the power of the Lord. Now that's freeing, isn't it? That Jesus took on himself all the sin of your past, present, future. It's all erased. And what is being kept are the records of your your deeds done for him, and your name is also written in the book of life. Now, out of heaven and back to earth, the disciples say, Jesus, we did amazing things. It was incredible. We saw your power. It was awesome. And Jesus says, well, no, no, don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are written in, in heaven. Your, your, your pleasure levels on earth are going to go up and down. And your happiness level on earth is going to go up and down. And that is completely normal for every single person in the world. But your joy can remain constant because there's always reason to rejoice because your name is written in heaven. 
You are a child of God. You are a citizen of the kingdom. You have passed from death to life. And that's your hope and that's your future if you trusted in Jesus. And so when life gets great, that's the pleasures and it's exciting and exhilarating. And when life's circumstances are, are light, that's, that's happiness, you can rejoice in the fact that in heaven's even better than this. And on the flip side, when life is terrible and there's pain and there's discomfort and there's persecution or when circumstances are really heavy and it's just on you and there's depression and there's sickness and there's death, you can also rejoice because heaven awaits you. And the Bible tells us that the death will be no more and pain will be no more and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Now, that's, a, that's an amazing, amazing truth and, and promise that God has given us. Now, from my own personal ministry perspective, Jesus is also here warning us about something else. He's saying, listen, there, there is joy found in the results of ministry. Yeah, absolutely. But you shouldn't find your joy in the results alone. So they come back and they're, they're, they're celebrating all the results. God, you did this and this. The power displayed. It was, in, it was incredible. But also know that there are going to be days in your ministry and there have been in my ministry where it just feels like there's, there's no results at all. Where's the fruit, God? You told me to do this. For me, it was, you told me to start a church in Boston. What's happening? I'm just pounding. I feel like I'm rolling rocks around. I'm not like planting anything. Just moving rocks around. Hard people. He says, you can rejoice. Now, even when there's not the results and when there are results, either way, you, result, you rejoice in that your name is written in heaven, that I will be with my Lord face to face. I'm telling you, I've been on both sides of that. I've been on the side of God, it was so incredible, and I praise you for that. I've been on the side of, oh man, I just want to be with you like right now in heaven. I just, take me, Lord. That's why Paul says, to die is gain. Like, get me out of this, right? I, I get that too. I've been on both sides. It took me a while, but I've grown to learn to find joy in Jesus and not in results. My wife is going to be the best testimony of that. If you're like, tell me more, I'll say, go talk to her. I'll go talk to her. Think about the, the prophets of the Old Testament for a minute. You just kind of did a little survey in your mind, for those of you guys who know anything about the prophets of the Old Testament. Not a lot of results oftentimes for many of those guys, huh? But they kept going, and they learned to find joy and hope and the fear of the, the Lord. We have to learn to delight in Jesus and not in statistics. So that's me. I'm just kind of bearing it all there. Uh, the, the next section is also very, very important. If you want to look down. Verse uh, 21 through 24. You know, most people will preach 17 through 20 and kind of leave it at that. Find joy, your name is in heaven. But 21 through 24 is, is clearly tied to it because of the phrase, in the same hour. So does that mean an hour later? No, within the same hour, right? Same hour. The, the same hour, probably even the same, same moment, right around then. He rejoiced. Who's he? Jesus. Jesus rejoiced in the same hour. He's displaying something to them and, and also is just being moved. It says he rejoices in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. Not 
that he's rejoicing about the Holy Spirit. We can hear that wrong sometimes. He's not rejoicing about the Holy Spirit. He's rejoicing in the Holy Spirit as he is being moved along by the the Holy Spirit. There are going to be moments in your life where the Holy Spirit just stirs you up and for whatever, he just, boom, right there, stop what you're doing. You got to rejoice. You ever been in those moments? Just rejoice in Jesus. I'm telling you, in the cold winter months, uh, I, I like to run a lot, but I, I like to run outside. I hate the treadmill, but in the cold winter months, I had to go to the treadmill. And so I was running our, on the treadmill uh, in, in, back in, I believe it was February. And uh, I remember it was so cold. I don't know what it was. I was running on the treadmill, and this happened. What happened to Jesus? It happened to me. The Holy Spirit just started, like, moving my heart with just joy and just caused me to rejoice in, in Jesus. And I was fighting back tears. I mean, and I, uh, not just fighting successfully. I mean, I was fighting and losing. And so I'm crying on the treadmill, and there on the TV in front of me is, you know, the biggest loser. And I'm thinking, Lord, like people around me think I'm crying at the biggest loser right now. But I'm like running. I, I just found myself rejoicing in Jesus and who he is and what he's doing in my heart and, 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 and heaven and the future that I, I have in him. And, and you know, one of the, 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 the greatest things that the Holy Spirit does. And John chapter 16, 14 tells us that his function, one of his functions is to glorify Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So he likes to move you to glorify Jesus. He just likes to, to, to glorify Jesus. Spirit-led re- rejoicing. Now, in some churches, maybe you've seen, seen it, been there, I don't know. I, I know I, I've seen it quite a bit. But in, in some churches, wild things take place sometimes. And, and God is not tame. He's not tame. Love what C.S. Lewis again says about that. He's not like this lion that you can tame. He's a lion, right? But in some churches, wild things happen. Strange things happen. And it often gets really weird and, and confusing at, at times. Do you want to find a litmus test as to how to know whether or not that is in fact Holy Spirit activity? You ask yourself, does this glorify Jesus? If one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus, you've got to ask, is this that's being done in the name of the Holy Spirit bringing glory to Jesus? Or is it being, bringing glory to some man or, 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 or to some woman? That's a great litmus test for you. Jesus is moved by the Holy Spirit to rejoice in the Father. And, and, and what does he say? Look, look again at 21 and 22. Let's just read it uh, together one more time. It says, In the same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus is moved by the Holy Spirit to pray and he prays something like, Father, how beautiful is it that you are bringing your gospel first to little children. This news that is earth-shaking, that is history-altering, that is captive-freeing. You didn't send it to the elite of the day. You didn't send it to the religious leaders of the day. You brought it to little children. Am I seeing any little children up in here? You see any little children? Because I don't. Is that a compliment when you call somebody like a child? You're acting like a child. Is that a compliment? He's not talking about childlike faith here. 
Sometimes the disciples of Jesus act like a bunch of babies, don't they? I mean, you read it, they're like, these kids, they're unreliable. They they bicker. They argue about who's going to sit on the left or right side of Jesus in the kingdom. My kids do that every single meal. I'm sitting by daddy. No, I'm sitting by, I sat there first. You did it last night. We just need a chart. We need a rotation or something. But these, they're just childlike. And Jesus, in his prayer, he's moved along by the Holy Spirit. He starts to rejoice, and he's putting his attention onto the grace of God. And grace is when you receive something that you don't deserve. That's the message of Jesus. The whole thing is that we get something we don't deserve. And in that time, you would be identified by the religious system at a young age regarding your potential intellectually, academically, if you were positioned for success, what your personality was like, if you were going to be dynamic, and, and all of that. And if so, they would train you up as a Pharisee or, or, or a scribe, and everybody else, they drop out of school as young kids. And they go work for dad or go work in the home if they were ladies. And Jesus says, I'll choose those guys, not the people that you're looking for. I'll choose those guys. And I I love, I just, I love tracing the stories of the disciples, don't you? For me, that's just really, really cool. These are nobody with very little potential in the eyes of the world. And Jesus shows his power in and and through them. That's that's the grace of God. I love to study culture. I'm like a sociology kind of nerd. And one common thread for men is inadequacy. It's just a feeling for men. It's just inadequacy. They just feel like they're not, they're not competent. They can't do it. They need affirmation. They, they feel like failures. They feel like they can't perform very well. Let me tell you something, men and women. That makes you a great candidate to be used mightily of the Lord. Because God's not in it to make much of you. He's in it to make much of him. God, how could you use such a fool as me? Right? God does that all the time as you read through the scripture. And we should often be rejoicing in the grace of God that that comes from from Jesus alone, that he loves to show his power in and and through you. Not so that you rejoice in the power, but that you celebrate his, his graciousness that is being displayed by him using nobodies like you. And that's the norm in the scripture. That's not like occasionally he does this that's the norm in the scriptures, isn't it? He just uses nobodies and bozos and repeat offenders in the scriptures for his glory. And uh, throughout the past uh, couple months together, we've, we've named a lot of those just people that God uses in the Bible who are just complete screw-ups and God does great things to them. And I just maybe, let me just give you a few more that we haven't already touched on just to kind of get you reminded, oh yeah, that is kind of a, a theme in the Bible. So think about Noah. Noah does this amazing thing, great faith. He builds an ark in the middle of a field, apparently, or on a mountain. And and there's nothing, no water. He just builds an ark. And then God does this thing and floods the earth, the rainbow, the whole deal. He gets out of the ark and gets trashed and wasted. Is that in your kid's Bible? Because it's not in my kid's Bible. I've never, like, seen that there. Yet the Bible calls him a hero of, of faith. Or think about Abraham. Remember Abraham? He's got this extremely beautiful wife. I mean, extremely beautiful, and, and he knows it. So when he's in trouble, what does he do? He's like, she's not my wife. She's my sister. You want to spend some time with her? Can you believe that? 
He gets his wife sleeping with people to get himself out of trouble. Yet Father Abraham, many refer to him as many sons. There's so many more. Think about Samson. Ah, oh, Samson, the big muscular giant. He's got a terrible taste in women, right? Remember the story of Samson? His girl kept trying to kill him. He's like, dang, but she is so hot. You know, I just can't resist. And he keeps going back to her. What an imbecile, right? And then God uses him to deliver his people. Rahab. She's a prostitute in Jericho. And God uses her, not after she cleans up her life and gets out of the prostitution business. He uses her while she's still prostituting herself out. He doesn't say, you've got to clean up your act to come to me. I come to you, and I find you in your state, and I do my work in your heart. That's grace. That's, that's God. And then, of course, there's, there's, there's Jonah. He's just seen an amazing miracle where God saved him from near death by having a fish come and swallow him. Spits him up on dry land. Instead of going, I'm alive, he goes, huh? God, why do you want to save these people? And he has a bad attitude. He doesn't want to extend grace to people that has just been extended to him and bringing him up from death. Little children. Childish. Jesus prays, Father, I'm rejoicing in that you would reveal the deep truth of the grace of your yourself and, and, and the grace of the gospel to such people as these little children. Jesus is rejoicing. He finds great joy in the grace of God. One more observation. Read again with me 23 and 24. And then turning to his disciples, he said privately. So now he goes privately to his 12 disciples. He says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Some more thoughts on joy from the scripture here is that you can find joy in understanding just how blessed you are in Jesus. He calls them blessed. Why? They're blessed because they get to see and understand the the gospel. That they're in on something that not even the prophets and the kings themselves got to see. Two of the three highest offices in the Old Testament. You guys get to see stuff greater than those guys got to see. One area that aids in our joy is perspective, doesn't it? Sometimes we just need a little bit of perspective. Jesus says, I want you to get some perspective. I want you to see just how privileged you are. It's kind of like when an American goes to a third world country and they come back and they're like, whoa. I'm not complaining that I'm starving anymore (laughs) because there are people who are actually starving. I'm not going to complain about my my small little condo or apartment anymore because there's people all over the world, the majority of people all over the world don't have indoor plumbing or air condition or, or a roof. It's, it's crazy. You get perspective like that. Perspective helps you in, in your joy. And eventually, the apostles of Jesus get what he's trying to teach them here. They, they eventually do get 
perspective. Here's how I know. As I read through 1 Peter chapter 1, just listen. Peter teaches what Jesus is teaching him now. Peter will later teach it to us as Christians. He says this. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets searched and the angels longed to see what we see. So he's teaching later the same thing that Jesus is teaching him here. He, he gets it. The perspective. We, we've got an amazing privilege here and there's deep joy that comes from just an awareness of you're blessed. You are blessed. If everything else in life stinks, well, good news. This life is going to end. It's going to be a, a blink of the eye. It's going to be like dew on the grass, the Bible says. Here in the morning, gone in the morning. You don't even get a full day in that analogy. It's just gone. That's your life. If it stinks, you've got eternity with Jesus forever. Perspective helps with your joy. It does. When I was in college, I was planning to get engaged to this beautiful girl named Becky. And uh, I was ready. And so I started to design a ring for her. And uh, I'm kind of like a creative type. And so I remember sitting in class. When class got boring, I'd pull out my sketch pad. And I would just draw up this ring that I'd been like designing for her. And uh, I sketched it out. And I, I sketched out a side view this way and a side view without the circle. And I sketched out a top view and I sketched out a bottom view. And I had this thing all, all laid out exactly what I wanted. And I remember bringing my sketch and my life savings to a jeweler. And I remember going there and got it made. I remember doing that. I remember holding that thing and just being like, wow, you know, this is amazing. I, I was so pleased with this ring. I designed it and I paid everything for it. I was just so pleased. And I remember the day I gave it to her, proposed to her uh, at the end of a pier on Boston Harbor. We were praying together like this. And then right when we said amen, I got down on my knee and, and asked her to marry me. And I remember it was dark, so she was like, oh, I can't see. <laughs> and I remember going back uh, in towards Quincy Market and, and trying to get him some light so she could see the thing. And I remember just saying, now look at it this way. And now, now, now twist it this way. And then I remember the next day, it was a Saturday. I remember the next day she's in church. You know how girls do when they get engaged and they're like shimmering it, you know. And every picture is like strategically placed, you know. <laughs> and she's doing that thing and just watching the light reflect off of, of her finger. And it was it was so cool. I just remember wanting her to see every angle of this ring that I had paid everything for. I mean, everything I had, really. Such a picture of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus, I just want you to see perspective. Where you're at right now, it's amazing. And, and, and I'm going to pay everything for this. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to die for you. So check it out over here. Check it out over here. Watch the way it sparkles when you see it in, in light of where you're at today in history compared to what the, the, the prophets of old and, and the kings, they long to see this. Even the angels are in heaven. And they don't even get to experience the grace that you experience, the feeling of failure and then the feeling of being set free. Perspective is huge to our, our, our joy. Spin it this way. Spin it this way. It's beautiful. I gave it all, God says. So, so here's how I want to close. I want to close with us just worshiping, with, with us re rejoicing together. Because we've seen some things as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that 
angels longed to see, that the prophets wanted to see, that kings didn't even get to see. People in great power and great prestige and, and could buy everything they wanted. They didn't even get this kind of joy. Many reasons we've seen this morning for just deep-seated joy. Not pleasure that's physical and fleeting. Not happiness that's in our heads and it comes and goes. But joy that's deep within our, our hearts. We've seen God's power displayed in and through us and the joy that that brings. But it can't just be in the results that brings, but it's also seen in just knowing that heaven awaits you because of what Jesus has done. And the pleasures and happiness of the life are going to be gone, and, and, and yet you have heaven awaiting you. We've seen the grace of God that he would use people like you and me. You've seen where you're at in, 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 in history and, and what you get to understand and what you get to experience because of the gospel. There's so much to rejoice in this morning as Christians. If life is hard, you can still rejoice. If life is amazing, know that it's fleeting. And know that joy comes from Jesus. Would you close your eyes with me for a minute? I just want to, before I pray, close this out. I just want to remind you, if, if you feel like you have no reason to rejoice, I'm guessing it's because you don't have Jesus. Because if you have Jesus, you have every reason to rejoice. And if you don't have Jesus, the Bible makes it really clear, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is, saved from the crushing weight of sin, saved from pursuing things in this life that will not satisfy you, saved from having to stand at the white throne of judgment and give an account for your life and see that it falls short of the glory of God. You can be saved from that. And you can say, look at Jesus, look at his life, I've trusted in that. And it's Christ in me is my hope of glory. He's my joy. So I want to encourage you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, right now, I, I, I beg of you, turn from sin, turn to Jesus. Acknowledge what he has done for you by living the life you couldn't live, dying the death that you deserve, and resurrecting the life. And you call upon his name and say, God, I want you looking at Jesus. I trust in Jesus, not my own life, not my own performance. And the Bible says you'll be saved. You'll become a Christian. You're a new creature. Everything changes. So Lord, I commit my friends in this room who need to give their lives to Jesus. Right now, I pray that they would do that. As we sing this song, that they would call upon your name. They'd marvel at your grace, that you would give them what they don't deserve. And they would call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. If that's you, you do that as we sing. If you're a Christian in here, you have every reason to rejoice in Jesus. And so join us in rejoicing in Jesus. God, we love you. We praise you. Be honored in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.